0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, February 13th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. The conventional narratives about the financial crisis of 2008 are badly flawed, according to Cato's Norbert Michel. His new book, Why Shadow Banking Didn't Cause the Financial Crisis and Why Regulating Contagion Won't Help?, aims to detail the evidence regarding shadow banking's role in the crisis and why regulators and lawmakers broadly do not appear to have learned the proper lessons from the crisis. What is the conventional narrative about what gave us the financial crisis? I know there are multiple, but in terms of uh, the popular one that uh, people who ought to know better believe, what is it?
1: The popular narrative that you hear all the time now still is that these these unregulated so-called shadow banks of Wall Street took all this wild speculative risk, and none of the financial regulators knew anything about it, and that's what caused
0: the crisis. Okay. So That's, when we when we talk about shadow banking, of course, it's the title of your book, Why Shadow Banking Didn't Cause the Financial Crisis and Why Regulating Contagion Won't Help. When we talk about shadow banking, is that a process or is this a set of institutions? It's generally a set
1: of institutions. And generally what you see is people like Elizabeth Warren and Sherrod Brown and and to be fair, even Republicans. So I'm not trying to pick on Democrats here they refer to the non banking sector as the shadow banking sector uh and the implication is sort of like that conventional story right it's uh, these we have all these banks that are these very sound solid highly regulated financial institutions and then we have all these other things on wall street that aren't regulated and are murky and in the shadows and nobody knows what they're doing and those are the dangerous ones and what we need to do of course is regulate those like we do the commercial banks. That's the only way we can be safe,
0: so they say. All right, so why is that narrative so uh, unfortunately misguided in your (laughs) view?
1: Multiple reasons, uh, irrespective of the 08 crisis, there's no such thing as unregulated Wall Street financial firms. There's no such thing as unregulated financial firms period. It hasn't been that way for close to 100 years. So that concept by itself is way off. Now, when we look at the OA crisis, what is very interesting for for this story is that none of this stuff that you see these CDSs, all these exotic things, right? Asset backed commercial paper and credit default swaps and CDOs and all these things. None of that activity took place outside of the purview of federal regulators. And primarily because commercial banks have been, from the beginning of those different securities, intimately entwined with those securities. So the, the idea that the regulators didn't know what was going on is completely false. Banks had everything to do with producing that stuff, selling that stuff, and even providing credit guarantees for that stuff.
0: So let's talk about money markets and uh, short-term credit other, uh, otherwise. So what is the role that money market funds play in this uh, shadow banking sector? So that's, that's
1: the other part. I think really of this story, it's that they it was this it was this contagious panic with no good reason that just spread like wildfire from those money markets. So uh, the money market funds, of course, you have people investing in them, putting putting cash into these short term uh, vehicles. You also have large institutional investors putting money into those short term, relatively safe vehicles, and. Part of that 2008 contagion story is that um, Reserve Primary, for example, Reserve Primary broke the buck, so their their shares were underpriced, and then everybody went completely crazy and panicked, and everybody took money out, and only the federal government stepping in stopped a complete and total meltdown of the financial system because those short-term markets were so important for funding. While it's true that a lot of people moved money out, it is not true that it was a contagious panic. Uh, what you see, and there's there's evidence for this. I documented in the book. What you see is very specific uh, movements of money from the riskier funds and from the riskier assets. So it's with good reason that people were moving money out, and you. There's actually documented as well that many other prime money market funds gained assets. They didn't just lose, they gained assets during this period. So that's not a contagion. And that's important because the prescribed regulations for fixing this supposed problem is based on the contagious part. So if you don't have that contagious part, then you don't really have the reason to regulate the way we're starting to
0: regulate them. All right. So uh you 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 brought it up, contagion. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What what's the difference between what it is and what people say it is? Or when we when you try to characterize what contagion is, uh, you know, there's the old school economics view of what contagion is, and it seems like the new definition was a little different. Is that fair? Well, I wouldn't say the definition is
1: fair. I would say that the story just sort of propagated as if there were contagion. Um, and, and this is actually kind of like deja vu all over again. Um, there's there's a lot of work that shows in the 1930s, for example, you had all these bank runs, right? And sort of the, the common depression era story is that it was a widespread panic that everybody took money out of banks. Well, that's not quite right. Um, there's a, an abundant literature that shows that the weakest banks <laughs> and the riskiest banks were the ones where people took money out first and primarily. Um, so you have the same kind of thing happening here. Everybody's running around saying that there was this contagious panic, which, again, is just sort of a uh, for no good reason. Everybody panics and takes their money out, even if the assets were otherwise solid. Even if the banks or the funds were otherwise solvent, they still take their money out. And that's not what we saw happen. Not in, a, not in the 1930s and not in 2008. It was very specifically aimed at mostly asset-backed different, different uh, uh, securities. So asset-backed commercial paper, asset-backed money market funds, uh, asset-backed repo funds. Like we saw that that's where, where there was a problem.
0: So lots of investors all at once looking across what they're holding on to and making decisions about whether or not a specific uh market or a specific type of asset is suddenly appears to be riskier than they thought it was yesterday. Is that right?
1: That's right. And that's what we saw happen. And we saw those the different assets being priced differently. And unfortunately, because When you have large institutional investors uh and the government hooked up with them, they're they're it's it's also kind of deja vu. Uh they're gonna go to the government and say, we need this, we need to be saved here, we need funds here. And that's really what amount that's what it really amounted to. Um but the fact that certain asset markets were repricing for certain risk categories and certain types of assets shows that those markets actually worked there was a lot of new commercial paper issued but it was issued with different collateral and with um, at different prices so it's not that the market froze it's that the biggest institutional investors didn't want to pay the higher prices <laughs> that was the problem uh, so that's very
0: different from a contagion so uh, when we talk when you say big institutional investors of course a mm. lot of my knowledge of this at least uh, the uh ground level conversations that took place a lot of this comes from movies that i saw following the financial crisis and uh, the people who had the ears of regulators were their friends at large financial firms oh no doubt no doubt
1: and and some of those movies were really good the big Short. Uh, it was pretty. it was pretty good. But they, and I'm not trying to be funny, they stopped short <laughs> of the last piece of this, which is they basically didn't get into what regulations caused it and which government actions made it worse. And there's actually quite a bit of that. Um, I get into some of this in the book. There were many, many bankruptcy law changes. Um, there were many capital charge changes. There were many accounting rule changes. That the FDIC also took uh to to redo their capital rules that incentivized commercial banks to do more of this stuff and to provide more credit guarantees. So unsurprisingly, we got a lot more of it. Um and you know, you you can't sit here and say, well, obviously it's unregulated shadow banking activity when that's what actually caused it is actually the banking sector um it's actually the firms going to the banking regulators and 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 having the rules redone and going to congress and having the laws redone to save themselves money to make a better deal for themselves um so this is this is none of this is in the shadows
0: none of it so one of the things that you point to in, in particular and you've made mention of it before is the idea that commercial paper these are short duration uh Debt instruments. Is that That's right? right. Uh, That's right. And so these these debt instruments, uh, once it was discovered that what was backing that commercial paper was a risky asset, all the new commercial paper issued, or or, or uh, much more of the commercial paper issues that uh, followed the discovery of this these risky assets, uh, as you said, had different collateral and were at higher prices. And so, uh, like you said, right. that seems like a market repricing something based on new information.
1: No, that's exactly right. And that's exactly what happened. You see commercial paper, and, and all of it is short-term to begin with. You get a lot of it at 90 days. Uh, almost none of it is over a year. Most of it is 90, 30, and 90-day issues. So, in the heart of the crisis, you saw a lot more move to the 30, uh, the 30-day maturity. Um, and you saw that there was a problem with asset-backed securitization, so securities that were, that were tied to these other assets, a lot of them housing. It was clear that those were a problem, so people stopped using that as collateral. <laughs> I
0: mean, that's, you know, that's what happened. So, so how fair is it then, you know, when I, hear, when I read the big short, and it, it seems mm-hmm. like a compelling uh, story, a, a fairly presented story, how mm-hmm. much of the early part of the, the financial crisis, that the housing assets that were mm-hmm. uh, thought to be at the core of it, uh, how much of it was just bad design by the people trying to sell what turned out to be junk? I tend to fall on the side of it
1: wasn't necessarily bad design. I think that uh, there, was, there was too much of it. It went on for too long. And I mean, that's to be expected. Um, but again, I I have a problem detaching that from why did we have too much? And right. and a primary reason that we had too much is because the federal government was literally encouraging
0: both figuratively and literally uh, to do more of it. There was a clamor in the financial sector right. to absorb no, right. as much of this housing uh securities right. as possible. That
1: Unequivocally. <laughs> there was an explicit goal to increase the homeownership rate uh, from 64% to 70% through
0: securitization, particularly through Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. If you look back to George W. Bush's uh, stump speeches during his final yeah. two years in office, well, leading up to his final two years in office, I suppose, <laughs> he was touting Look at the home ownership rate. It's That's right. the highest home ownership rate we've had in uh, you know a very long time, and yeah. that, uh, to the extent that government agencies are trying to goose that, um, that can be a problem. Yes, and it was.
1: <laughs> it was. It absolutely was. And this this spanned multiple administrations, both Democrat and Republican. Uh, it was a terrible idea, and it came back to bite us. You know, this was, um, and and you could even, if you wanted to stop at Bush, you know, you could say that he even expanded some of the stuff that Clinton had done prior and made it worse. I I would go that far. Um, So, I mean, it's this is this was not a either Democrat or Republican problem.
0: So, what has what have the Feds done to attempt to regulate this contagion?
1: Well, the the biggest sort of piece of it is the Dodd Frank Act. And what the Dodd-frank act essentially did um, although nobody's gonna although either Dodd nor neither Dodd nor Frank would admit this I think but um, what it did was sort of plead agnosticism and say we don't know exactly what to do but we're gonna give the Fed and Treasury uh, this new framework, and a lot of latitude to do whatever they need to do to regulate financial stability. We're not going to define financial stability because we don't really know exactly what it is. Um, And we're not going to tell them exactly what to do because if you can't define it, you can't really do anything yet. So we're going to let them define it as they go along, and we're going to let them come up with the solutions that they need to come up with. And we're also going to put higher bank capital requirements out there. And The only part of that that really made sense, given what happened, was the higher bank capital (laughs) requirements. Um, But but take note, that's not the non-banking sector. That is
0: absolutely the commercial
1: banking sector.
0: So getting back to a rational system uh, Mm -hmm. of where lots of market participants are making lots of decisions based on uh overlapping and different pieces of information when it comes to trying to identify opportunities to make a buck um, it it feels as if Dodd-Frank and other pieces of legislation have made that more difficult is that fair
1: yes yeah that's totally fair and the piece of it that i left out I so i mentioned Dodd-Frank and then i didn't mention the money market fund stuff um and technically that wasn't a new law because the Securities and Exchange Commission already had discretion to do a bunch of different rules, and they've done a bunch of different rules, and arguably made things much worse. They've made it much more difficult for people to get into what would have been considered a low-risk type of money market fund prior to the 08 crisis um, after. So it's very easy to get into a government fund now, and all the rules are sort of slanted toward money market funds, uh going to that model where they're they're only investing in government securities. There are still prime funds that are not exclusively government funds, um, but the rules are different and therefore more expensive and therefore your return is lower. And I don't see that going away anytime soon. What was the most surprising thing in doing the the research for this book that you discovered? You end up seeing the contradictions uh after 2020. So you know, during the crisis, the supposed problem was that the money market funds were bleeding because they were selling off their commercial paper. And then, what you find is in 2020, what does the Fed do? They set up a fund so that the money market funds can sell their commercial paper to the Fed. So, I mean, you, you can't have it both ways, right? You can't say if 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 the the mere fact that they're selling commercial paper is destabilizing can't also set something up to make it easier for them to sell it, you know? Um, so there's, there's things like that, I think that are interesting. Um, the other interesting thing is that everybody talks about these reforms still to, to do more that we need to do more. And the more is more government backing. But then when you look at the problem, say like with the repo market, the, the repurchase agreement or repo market, um, Most of the over 70 percent of the collateral used in that market is government securities. They're already government backed. If government backing by itself would actually bring about the stabilizing effects that these these so-called reformers uh, preach, then, you know, we, we wouldn't have the problem in the first place.
0: I'm looking at a photograph I took in August of 2016. It is the front page of The Wall Street Journal. It says the headline is "Home Buyer Shortage Threatens Recovery." <laughs>
1: Home buyer shortage—that's a—that's a good one. The housing finance system has not really been updated in a positive way. Um, it's been extenuated. the The government conservatorship of Fannie and Freddie has been just has just dragged on. Um, there are some tweaks to the rules. They are moving toward putting more capital there, that's a good thing. Um, but the the general sort of housing finance system with all of its government backing that did exist before the 08 crisis uh, has only been doubled down on. So that's probably not a good thing going forward.
0: Norbert Michel is author of the new book, Why Shadow Banking Didn't Cause the Financial Crisis and Why Regulating Contagion Won't Help, available now at Cato.org. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.